You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everyone. My name is Keith Randolph-Smith, and welcome to this special, special episode featuring the five incredible playwrights of Isolated Incidents, a six-part audio series following five essential workers and their families as they grapple with anxiety and the need for honesty and how race impacts every interaction and decision they make. The series shows that maybe all those isolated incidents aren't so isolated after all. Now, if you haven't already, please listen to all six episodes available wherever you stream your podcast, as well as on Broadway Podcast Network at bpn.fm forward slash isolated incidents. So here we are with our... uh, wonderful writers, and I'd like to start by asking a few questions. James, would you respond to the question of what inspired you to create Isolated Incidents? Sure. Thanks, Keith. My name is James Sanchez. I wrote the play Neither Nor, and this series came about last June, June of 2020, at a time when a lot of stuff was going on. Um, So the pandemic that had been going on for a few months was colliding really with racial tensions in this country that have been around for a long time, but were really coming to the surface uh, because of the protests in response to the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many others. And a few of us were kind of talking and expressing all of our feelings uh, about everything that was going on at the time. And we talked vaguely, but very strongly about wanting to do something or wanting to make something about that moment. So we brought together this team of playwrights to figure out what kind of thing we wanted to make. And we talked and thought for a long time about what we wanted it to be and what we came up with was Isolated Incidents, a series of audio plays that give us a really diverse look at all of the different ways that race and the pandemic intersect, interact, and collide. There there are a lot of different experiences that this series explores. So we have a few things that are pretty overtly political, but we also have a few things that are more subtle explorations of how race affects a lot of things that 
that people of color experience in the United States, especially now as things have been made so much more difficult uh, and so much more dangerous as a result of the pandemic. I'm Nick K. Du. I wrote the mediation episode of Isolated Incidents. And I think James expressed most of what compelled us to this project. But I remember when uh, we initially started those conversations, uh, we were really excited by the opportunity to write this moment that felt ahistorical in real time and kind of articulate all of the reasons why it was symptomatic of something larger and not this uh, kind of unforeseen thing, the way that the cultural conversation wanted us to believe that it was. And even something so simple as like expanding those definitions of what essential work was, um, was really exciting for me because I had family that continued working throughout the pandemic and, and kind of nursing those anxieties and, and trying to think of what we could do with this project um, to kind of highlight and illustrate those truths and those stories. And you, you all did it in a very illuminating way. Thank you. I'm going to go to another question. Uh, Laura, tell me about your writing process. Sure. Thanks, Keith. I'm Laura Neal. I wrote The Nightmare Next Door. And this writing process was really beautiful because it was so collaborative. We had the opportunity to bounce ideas off each other. So we started, like James and Nick said, with trying to figure out what are we trying to do. And we went through and brainstormed what are some stories that we want to tell, right? Who do we want to make sure is in this series? And from there, we each landed on our own episode idea looking at uh, the pandemic and race and anxiety <laughs> and this attempt to find honesty and honor this moment. And we went away and wrote first drafts of our episodes and we brought them back and we read them. We discussed them. We brought in uh, a couple of actors to have an informal reading of them, had feedback conversations. And of course, the episodes, you know, they come together in episode six. So we each wrote one of the episodes primarily on our own. And then we co-wrote episode six. And so we were paying attention as we were writing to what are the resonances, what are the themes that are coming through in these different episodes that talk to each other? And how is this something that none of us could have made on our own, but rather something that we're creating together? Thank you. A lot of insight into how you, you all pulled this together, working together like that. Where did the inspiration for your particular episode come from? I can start with that one. My name is Haley Spivy. I'm based in Los Angeles, but at the time I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio. So the episode I wrote is in public, which is about a um, very anxious healthcare worker that goes on a first date in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and so the inspiration for this, for me, I was working at a restaurant from basically the beginning of the pandemic. And in Cincinnati, it's also a very politically diverse area. So when it came to the guest, you really couldn't look at a person and guess what their opinions on COVID or how we handle safety what their opinions on that would be. So it was kind of like every day you would just meet a new person and just be kind of shocked. So I wanted to have an episode about someone who goes out into public, even when it's well advised to stay indoors and the social and moral stress that comes alongside that. Um, and I think working in a restaurant during all of it, that's what I was feeling on a regular basis. So I was excited to explore 
somebody who is going through it and kind of ask the question of like, is it worth it or not to take these risks? How many risks are we allowed to take when we've sacrificed so much already? And then what happens when you go out with a person who doesn't care about safety as much as you do? So maybe there is a way to be safe in public, but your company isn't allowing you to do that. How do we handle these situations? Hi, everyone. I'm Pascal Florstall. I'm the writer of Monster in the Pandemic, and I'm based right outside of Boston. Um, Inspiration for my episode came from the moment where so many people during the pandemic were moving into either their parents' house. I had a lot of friends of mine who, you know, were, were in their late 20s, early 30s, and decided to move in with their parents because of just the financial struggle and the economic strife that was happening. So my uh, episode follows an interracial lesbian couple who moves in with their mother-in-law and just the trials and tribulations of living with family when you've spent so much of your life as an adult. And I think we saw so much of this happen for me, like I've, I've had that experience living with a parent-in-law. Luckily it was not during the pandemic, but I think there is just so much to to unpack and understand of the dynamics of family and what it means to be in a couple where you're interracial and dealing with racism that's happening and all of the ways that the world is trying to understand racism while being in a couple that has to deal with it too, along with your love and your family. And so I really wanted to explore those dynamics because I don't think we get to see that kind of family as often. And there's so many of them. And that was something that really inspired me to write the episode. Thank you for doing it. And you speak true. So (laughs) I say amen to that. Nick. My name is Nick K. Du. Um, I'm a New York City-based playwright. Um, I wrote the mediation episode, which is maybe one of our more explicitly political episodes. I remember like one of the things that compelled us to, to initially write isolated incidents was kind of this moment in the wake of the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and kind of me sitting inside of that moment and witnessing and listening at like those kind of things become politics and, and the kind of politics that we're talking about in those moments are really like the worth of human life. And, and those considerations look and feel different if the people whose lives were evaluating the worth of resemble your own. And kind of, for me, recognizing that like, even in times of great tumult, or maybe especially in times of great tumult, that politics aren't so simple as A or B. And, you know, uh, even inside of demographics, things are never a monolith. And how do we leave room for that nuance and that complicatedness and, and the virtue and truth uh, inside of those differences of opinion? Because, you know, there exists difference of opinion, even inside of ostensible agreement. That was really exciting for me to explore um, these two people who fundamentally agree, um, but on also important levels, disagree. It hit me very close to the heart. I'll have to tell you that. James, you have a response to uh, your inspiration for your episode. James Sanchez, writing from Austin, Texas. I wrote the play Neither Nor, which takes place outside of a post office after it has already closed, but there's still work to be done. Yeah, essential workers are were a group of people that we were interested in and excited about writing from the from the beginning. And I was really interested in the intersection of race and labor and how people of color 
in large numbers find themselves in a lot of the jobs that for many different reasons uh, were considered to be essential labor. But the distinctions of essential workers got kind of really messed up throughout the pandemic, and it became a question of whether these workers were essential or whether they were sacrificial. And that's something that I read in an article where uh, I forget which publication was interviewing postal workers. That was one of the things that one of the postal workers had said, are we essential or are we sacrificial? That's something that really stuck with me. And I think my play could have been about a lot of different kinds of workers, uh, not just postal workers. It could have been about grocery workers or restaurant workers, public transit workers, lots of lots of different kinds of workers that were considered to be essential, but are not paid as well as they should. And in a lot of ways were put in harm's way, like people didn't really even acknowledge or appreciate that. I became more and more convinced that I needed to write this play about postal workers specifically because of all of the controversy around uh, the postal service that was happening as a result of mail-in ballots and uh, how the postal service was being uh, disrupted by the pandemic, but also intentionally kind of sabotaged by the previous administration. It seemed to me like the, the, the perfect depiction of how people of color find themselves in these jobs uh, and, and especially in 2020 uh, found themselves in these jobs that were already thankless before, but became not only thankless, but also dangerous. And especially for the postal service, a lightning rod for a lot of the frustrations and criticisms and political arguments that were happening at the time. And on top of that, I also stumbled upon articles about people receiving dead baby animals in the mail and thought that was really terrible and thought that that was just kind of, I don't know, a perfect representation of something about what I believe the the respect for life should be like just in general, but that I think, you know, 600,000 people died in this pandemic and nothing has particularly changed. And so uh, that was something that really, that really hit me hard and that I wanted to kind of play around with and explore as just kind of a way of talking about the extent to which we do or don't care about life and express that I think we really should. I'm glad it hit you hard and you made an offering like this one because you're right, uh, a lot of postal workers don't get recognized for what they do every day and you shine the light on uh, an essential part of how our country infrastructure works. So thank you. Laura, do you have anything you'd like to add about your inspiration for your episode? Sure. So I wrote The Nightmare Next Door, which follows an interracial couple worrying about who their neighbors are going to be. They live in a duplex. The other half of the duplex is empty and they know someone's moving in and they don't know if it's going to be white Trump supporters or if it's going to be people who wear a mask. Right? Um, they don't know if it's going to be someone who could cause violence to them, right? And I'm also based in Austin, Texas currently, and I live in a neighborhood where red and blue are right next to each other, right? And some neighbors, you know, I, I would not trust, right? Um, and and some I would, and but you don't know, right? This, this pervasive sense of anxiety. And what my characters are grappling with, um, you know, one of them is a pharmacy, 
pharmacy tech who's working through the pandemic in this neighborhood, right? And one of them is an out-of-work librarian, right? And so they both have their own challenges and anxieties. And how do they face them together when they have such different experiences from each other through the pandemic, right? How do they love and respect each other through this time? And how do they find a way to feel safe in a world that is so incredibly unsafe for everyone during the pandemic and especially for people of color? Thank you for that offering and and uh, writing about the vulnerability. I believe we all must have felt at one time or another during the course of the pandemic. How did you write episode six collectively? Usually one writer, one play, but all these different writers. How how did how did y'all do that? That's such a great question, Keith. Uh, Well, I'll tell you, you know, how we all came together originally was James and Laura reached out to the three of us, Nick, Haley and me individually. I knew James and Laura um, from their time living in Boston and Haley as well as Haley used to live in Boston, too, as an actor. And so the four of us knew each other and James and Nick actually uh, attend the same MFA program in Austin. And so that's how we all like kind of were able to come together through our forces of friendship. And, you know, we've never actually all written together. I think we've all written by ourselves individually, um, but we've never done an actual writing project together. So this was a lot of experimenting for ourselves. And episode six, six was that I think the biggest experiment of all since we had attacked the writing process with the first five episodes, us individually writing. And so I think of episode six and our journey to writing it kind of like a writer's room in a TV show where each of us kind of pitched a little bit of what we what we wanted or hoped for the characters in our episode and tried to figure out what are the ways that we can connect this group together. And so we would write each section and then come back together, read them together, figure out what's working, what's not working. And each we would each help each other out with every section as we went through, which was my favorite part. You know, I loved writing my own episode, but writing episode six really made me feel like we could be in a TV room together and write a whole show because we really could listen and understand the different things that these characters wanted. And we've been living with the story for so long that I think each of us were able to figure out the, the little nuances that are so helpful to find from one another that sometimes you can't find within yourself when you're just trying to get the story out. So yeah, it was a lot of rewriting and coming back together. Um, and I remember it took us, I think right before we had to like finally submit it to figure out, oh, we don't even have a title for it. And that was a whole other process of what's the title. We were toying with just calling it episode six for a while, but we decided to go with something else. And I think that's a lot of just our different artistic style, which I think together makes like a beautiful casserole dish that has just been so, so great to be a part of and to just be able to shepherd this piece along. Yes, we need more dishes. (laughs) Did it take longer for you personally to write as part of the collective versus your own individual piece or similar times it, it took for the writing process for you? I think it took more, it kind of was like a jigsaw puzzle a little bit. So I think the actual writing we had to do was shorter because, you know, we only had bits of it, but it really took many meetings of us 
going through the different through lines and making things, making sure things connect or really highlight each other well. So maybe it took a little bit more strategy than the other episodes. Okay. Sounds like a good game of chess. One of the really fun things about episode six was several different times uh, coming up with a cool new thing that we could put into the episode required us to then go back into the previous episodes and figure out if there were ways that we could lay the groundwork or the foundation for that. And so that was that was a really fun collaboration because sometimes it's not your own episode that you're trying to change. So it's trying to find ways to make these things uh, happen in a way that all of us uh, felt like we had a stake in it. So that's that's something I'd never I'd never done before, and I thought it was really fun. It's amazing to hear this. I mean, we get the uh, the finished offering, but to go behind the scenes and to learn this, that's exciting. Thank you for sharing it. Haley, what was the experience like as a theater artist shifting to the audio form of storytelling? Hmm, I would say it was challenging for sure, because I know when I'm writing a play, I'm really thinking about what we're all seeing. But also when I'm working on a play, it's, it is about what we're hearing as well. So for me, it was a fun transition to put more creative imagery into connecting with the audience through the audio experience. So in public, which is the piece I wrote, I was excited to place it at a busy cafe because I was like in an audio setting. That would be really exciting to feel the chaos. And especially because it's about a character who is horrified about being so close to so many people. Just, you know, when you can hear the shop door bell going off and, and you can hear the cars going by and the conversations. So I found it to be very fun kind of exploring the audio portion. It's also interesting because with the rehearsals, it's less rehearsal, but we get to edit it which is really something you don't get to do in theater. So, and I relished in that. I was like, actors have fun, do weird takes, because if it goes poorly, we'll just cut it out. Did anyone else uh, have that kind of excitement about working in the different form, the audio form? Yeah, I did. I think one of the things I really enjoyed about it or about my episode is so many of the conversations in the in my episode take place on the phone. And I think so often in theater, we try to get away from the phone because that's not as engaging as watching two people talk to one another. But I feel like even in this time in the pandemic, we have been so reliant on conversations via text message, via phone, FaceTime, all of these different ways. And I, that was something I was really excited to explore because we spend so much time on our phones now, way more than we ever have. And I think it's really cool to see a whole piece just be use that device because we use it all the time. And it's something that's really a part of our lives now more than ever. What was it like working with uh, the directors and the actors in this form? It, was it different than a rehearsal studio and being there live? Things you enjoyed about it, things that were challenging about it? Yeah, I, I loved my director and, and my cast so much. It was really such a joy and such a privilege. I am an obsessive, obnoxious rewriter. And kind of like something Haley said, the fun of the form is that since the lines are being read, I get to rewrite the entire thing if I want to from one rehearsal to the next, which I did multiple times. 
maybe to the chagrin of my actors, uh, <laughs> but being able to go into the room and have that kind of open play with everyone in the room in the way that I think when you're in a theatrical uh, rehearsal process, things have to be a little bit more restrained or a little bit tighter by the time you get into rehearsal. Whereas for this, you could really blow things up once you got into rehearsal. And that was really thrilling and a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about the experience uh, was just being able to work with so many different kinds of actors, too, because we are we're in an audio world. We don't have to worry about, you know, all being in the physical space. So I think that was such a reach that we could do, which was, I think, my favorite thing as someone who's also a director and a writer uh, to be able to in- interact with so many different kinds of actors. And I think, you know, what's different that's a little bittersweet is, you know, there's not the same ritual of being in the space of like leaving the space together. So like when it was over, it was like, oh, that that's it. Okay. Well, I guess I'll never maybe see you again. I don't know. Which is always a weird feeling because you just went through this, you know, thing together and then, you know, it, it ends in a very abrupt way. So I think that's a little bittersweet, but I, you know, I feel like now that we're in this time where we're slowly opening and things are kind of coming back. I think there's a hope for us to all come back together. But I think those are the the hard things of having to do audio world. You don't get to have the opening night parties or the opening night, like we're all together in a room space that I think so many of us theater people love. At the party from a distance. <laughs> yes, exactly. Here's a question for everyone. I would like to know, what do you hope if that's, you have a hope of this, that folks come away from uh, hearing this episode six, the package, and also the episode that you contributed as a, a your standalone. I would say that what really one of my takeaways from the pandemic that I want to put in my piece, and I think we've all put into ours, is that it feels so often like we go through experiences completely on our own that no one else but us can understand. And I think even with race, that's something that happens where people's concept of their own relationship to race is the only one that exists and no one else is experiencing something at the same time. And I would like people to walk away remembering that we actually are going through very similar experiences. They just look very different. Or if the facts of our lives are different, the emotions we're feeling are pretty similar. And I feel like with COVID, that's what happened. We were all off in our own spaces, completely alone. But at the same time, I can talk to any stranger. And we have a COVID story, and that's something that's brought us together. And then specifically when it comes to racism, I really do think this is a piece that talks about microaggression and the need to be able to lean on each other and allyship as well. So I hope people see the if someone doesn't deal with racial issues in their daily life, that listening to these stories where it comes up again and again and again, but it looks so different every single episode, I hope they kind of take that and reflect on their own lives of like, so what's going on in every other person that's walking around. I think for me, the biggest takeaway is just the idea of intersection. Uh, And I think that's, you know, not just within my episode, but with all the episodes and episode six. Because I think so often we forget that everything relates back to one another, whether that's race, gender, sexuality, education, socioeconomic status, all of these things intersect with one another and they inherently affect one another. And I think that was, that's the thing so many of our pieces 
speak about. And I hope people really look at that and remind themselves of the different ways our experiences can be intersected in our identities and then within the world and the context that we live in. Because I think that's the hardest thing for us to understand, that it isn't just one thing. It's all of the things and how they interact with one another and then the world. For me, I think between mediation and episode six, I think it's really important this idea that the present necessarily begets the future, and, and but we're not necessarily promised what that future looks like. And I think brains by default really don't like change. They really like comfort and, and routine. And so something that I'm trying to learn to appreciate personally is that things have to change in order to get better. And I think that's true politically as well as personally. And that sometimes that like discomfort that you feel is just the the cost of progress. I also believe that people are fundamentally resilient and that we can withstand whatever those costs might be. But, you know, those costs shouldn't be innocent lives. One thing that I think is really important is just uh, the the understanding of the extent to which our world is reliant upon labor and how labor holds up everything that we're do- that we do in our lives how much of that labor is performed by people of color maybe just a little bit more awareness about like vis- the visibility of that labor or maybe even invisibility of that labor and maybe just bringing about more more awareness more acknowledgement of who does that labor and the value that it has. But also I think there's something to be said about the way that we treat each other and interact with each other. And that like, even in impossible situations, we can still be good to each other. Yeah, I think what I hope folks take away from this whole series really depends on what position they're listening from, right? So if if you're listening and you're someone who has privilege, who made it through this pandemic unscathed, who lives with white privilege, really think about your responsibility and how you can contribute to making our communities stronger, making this country a safer place for people of color to thrive. And I think, you know, for for folks of color who are listening, for folks who've been marginalized, just to hear the voices of these amazing playwrights of color, Pascal and Haley and Nick and James, and feel recognized. And I'll say to any theater professionals or TV executives who might be listening to this, um, one way you can make this world a better place is by supporting the work of Pascal and Haley and Nick and James. Look them up, Google them, hire them. Pascal's got a TV show she's dying to write. Haley's in LA, she's out there doing the work. Nick is at Juilliard in New York, he needs an agent. Okay, James's thesis is coming up at the University of Texas at Austin. Support these artists because that is a concrete way to walk the talk. Yes, yes, <laughs> put it out there like that. But it, it, it you, and you saying that, but it is, it is earned. The cost is paid, and you guys, you all, you what you did, you, you put the pandemic into a, a kind of relief that we could all either look at it through a mirror lens or a window lens. We can look at ourselves, or we can look out the window and observe. But we all had the the experience together, and that's what you all talked about about community, and it comes together great. 
in episode six. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.